Let's talk about baptism. Let's come to the next slide. Baptism is an epic, it's an epic tale of good versus evil, sort of. Let me explain. This is Hollywood blockbuster season, isn't it? And since it's Hollywood blockbuster season, and since that's where our minds go to when we hear the word epic, at least mine does, uh, I want to talk about baptism and show how the story of baptism and what we're doing here today is a little bit like a Hollywood epic, except it's an epic of biblical proportions. That was just unintentionally bad humor coming through there. It's what happens. The more children you have, I think, the worse the jokes get. Um, Right, so to start us off with though, and this is a little bit of fun to get our minds thinking about epic adventures, we're going to play an audio clip and the first person to shout it out gets a sweet. That's right. So, no, actually no. Right, so John, let's, let's, play, let's pray, pray, play the first audio clip. Almost. Is there anything coming through? Click one more time and let's see what happens. Very good. It was the Lion King. I think the first was Gabriel. Well done, mate. Great job. Next one. What? Indiana Jones. Very good, Gabriel. Great job, mate. Joke. You got that. You got that. Well done. And go on, then, Tim. It's just. Oh. All right. Next one. This is a bit trickier. Let's have a blockbuster. Huh? Not Sleepless in Seattle. That is not an epic of any proportions. It is, in fact, Finding Nemo. Did anybody get that? Has anybody got Finding Nemo? Someone say Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo. Well done, Robert. Sarah, sorry. I can't do that to you, can I? That would be too cruel. All right, next one. Celine Dion. Can I just say, John thinks that this film is Celine Dion. Celine Dion. It's not Celine Dion, John. No. There's no film with her in it. It's actually Titanic. Who said Titanic? These guys did well done. Well done, Gabriel. There you go, mate. Come on. Here we go. It's like being at the Sea Life Centre, isn't it? When they feed the animals. There you go. Good girl. Well done. Entertain. Here we go. Right, one more. I think we've got one more. One more song or not? No, that's it. Okay. These are some of my favourite blockbusters, the ones that we've seen this year. Can you name them? Anyone seen Inside Out? Who likes Inside Out? Yeah, you do. You can have a sweet. Well done. Great taste in films. Who likes Jurassic World? Yeah, great taste in films. Well done. Two sweets. You're collecting. You're doing quite well. You have a few more for your collection. I have a purple one as well. Sorry. Okay. Paddington Bear. Possibly one of the best films of recent years, isn't it? Steph, you're in very much agreement about that. And William, there you go. And last one. There's a, there's a film at the end there, Star Wars, The Force Awakens, which is very, very good. Aaron, you can have a sweet. Okay. All right, I tell you what, here's a question about Star Wars. Bring it up behind me, John. How much did it cost to make Star Wars Episode 7? Is it 300 million, 400 million, 100 million, or 200 million? Hands up if you think it's A. Hands up if you think it's B. C. D. And hands up if you don't care and don't want to play. All right, the answer is A, 300 million. Who said 300 million? Okay, well done. There you go. Let's just fight for them. Next one. How much money did Star Wars... So it, took, it cost $300 million to make. How much did it make globally in the box office? Was it worth the money? 
One million, two million, one trillion, two trillion. A, hands up for A. Hands up for B. Hands up for C. Hands up for D. The answer is D. Well done. Anybody over here? No one over this side. Graham, come on, mate. There you go, son. There you go. There you go. And yes, of course. You can have a few. There you go. Well, oh, you've got all greens. My favourite. And there's two left. So you'll have to be very well behaved to warrant these two. They are red, so they're less exciting. Now, the question that you might be wondering is, why on earth would we talk about blockbusters and films? It's just a bit of fun. There's no point to it. No, there is a point. The blockbusters that Hollywood make, they spend the kind of money on that they do because they think they're going to make the money back. They think it's worth the deal. It's worth the investment. We're talking about baptism this morning. We're talking about the Christian faith. And we're talking about what Jesus has done for us. Jesus, his death on the cross and his resurrection was a moment in history that cost God more than any blockbusters ever cost to make. It's been one of the most and the most expensive thing that's happened in human history. But to understand just why it is that, that Jesus' death and resurrection is such a blockbuster of an epic, I want us to think a little bit about why baptism as a thing is something that occurs in the Bible at all. In a moment, at the end of, at the end of this afternoon, once we've heard from Fiona, and which she tells me she's going to speak for 45 minutes or so, 45 minutes, fine. <laughs> once Fiona's shared why she wants to get baptized, we're going to leave here, go down the corridor, go into the swimming pool. Uh, we're then going to get into the water. Not all of us, just those who want to. And, um, that's kidding, you haven't got to. And then um, we're going to baptize Fiona. And what that means is that we're going to lower Fiona into, the, Fiona into the water. And then we're going to bring her back up again without there being too much of a delay between those two moments. <laughs> it's, a strange, it's a strange symbol, a strange ritual that Christians have been doing for thousands of years. And today we're doing something that isn't new, isn't a latest idea. It's something that, has been, that churches have been doing, Christians have been doing for thousands of years. And if you stopped and thought about it for a moment, you'd realize that weddings and the way we conduct our weddings are also quite unusual affairs. But because we're so used to them, because we're so used to the, the format of weddings, bride side, groom, groom side, um, white, man at the front, lady with white dress, walks down the middle, rings, I do, the giving and the exchanging of rings and all of that. Because we're so used to that format, it doesn't seem strange to us. But baptism as a thing is something that we're not so familiar with. And so as a result, it feels slightly more strange. So let's talk about why baptism and where baptism comes from in the, in the story of the Bible. Now, in the Old Testament, you need to know that right at the beginning of this book is a book called Genesis. And in the book of Genesis alone, you see the theme of water emerge as being something that's quite important as a symbol for teaching human beings about God, about the divine life, so to speak. So Ishmael, who is the brother of Isaac, He's cast off into the desert, him and his mum. They think they're about to, to die in the desert. And God comforts them and says, open your eyes. And there's a well in front of them. Not just Ishmael, but Rebecca meets her husband at a well in the desert. Jacob crosses a river before wrestling with God and having a, a, one of the most profound and life-changing moments of his life. Um, again, in the rest of the Bible, Joshua crosses a sea before crosses a river before entering the promised land Gideon chooses his army by having them drink water and then selecting the ones that drank in a particular way and David picks his stones to go and fight Goliath from a stream water as a theme appears a lot throughout scripture because water as a symbol has something to teach us 
But in the New Testament, there's two stories in the Old Testament that are used to explain what baptism is. Can anybody guess? And this is, a, this is a weird Bible trivia quiz one. So if you know this, you deserve a sweet. Two sweets, in fact. Can you think of any two stories in the Old Testament that have water in them as a big theme and as a big symbol? Two that I missed out. Oh, look at that. Give me one. That's a very... Yeah, that's very good. Well done. That is one of them, but that's in the New Testament. You can have a sweep for that because that's superb. That's in the New Testament. We're going to talk about that one. In the Old Testament, yes. Goliath. No, we've mentioned Goliath. Noah's Ark. Well done, buddy. Awesome. Noah's Ark is one, and the other one is Moses. If you know those stories at all, or if you've seen the films, <laughs> then you'll know what happens. Let's talk about them. In the New Testament, both of those stories are referred to to teach Christians this is what baptism is about. And let's have a look at some of the similarities. So to do this, I need some help. I need three volunteers. One, two, three. Great. Come out here. Could you stand here for me? And you stand just here for me. And you stand just here for me. Not there. Just there. Yeah, that's fine. Great. Thanks. Okay, right. Let's talk about some of these stories. Let's talk about the story of Noah. Because in the days of Noah, now you need to understand, if you hold that for me, we'll come to that. In the days of Noah, in the ancient Near East, there's several stories from antiquity from around that part of the world. Several different peoples, when the human race was quite young, have in their ancient histories descriptions of a momentous flood that consumed the area and destroyed a lot of people. There's one in the Epic of Gilgamesh. There's another group of people in the Egyptian area that write about it, and it also appears in the Bible. We know it as the story of Noah's Ark. This was a time in Earth's history when human beings were quite young, and God decided that he was going to judge good and evil. And in judging good and evil, he said to Noah, I want you and your family to build a boat. I don't have any Noah people at home, so we have a pirate. Here we go, if you hold these for me. Oh, sorry. We have a pirate and another pirate. So that's all we have at home is pirates. So this is Noah and his family, and God tells them in the middle of a, a desert-type area to build a boat. So it would have looked pretty unusual. And then if you, you know the story at all, God sends a flood, which, and it rains for 40 days. People are destroyed. Noah and his family alone are saved by being in the boat in the ark. The boat then comes to rest, here we go, on a mountain. Thanks. Noah leaves the ark, sacrifices an animal, probably one of the ones from his boat. Here we go. And God makes a covenant with Noah and his people. There you go, you're doing well so far. There's a few more things to come, is that okay? Noah makes, a, Noah makes a covenant with his people and he promises, never again will I destroy the human race with a flood like that one. That's the story of Noah. Then we come to the next story, the story of Moses. I was going to say Noah again, the story of Moses. Now, Moses was born during a time of ethnic cleansing. All of the baby boys born of Jewish descent were destroyed by the Egyptian people because for, as a measure of population control by the evil Pharaoh. Moses was rescued by his mother who put her in a basket in a river to sail her down the Nile. Now, we, we, these are Moses baskets that we put actual children in, but we don't put them on the water. There's a good reason for that, isn't there? Yes, social services. No, there's a good reason for that, and that's because it hasn't got a lid on it. 
the original Noah's Ark, Noah's Ark, Moses' boat, bag, basket, would have looked more like this than it did like this. And the reason I mention that is because, you're doing all right there? Yeah? Great. In the original language that the Bible was written, the word for ark is the same word for the basket that Moses was put in. The writer is deliberately saying, just as God saved Noah in a boat and an ark, so God saved, preserved the life of Moses in a boat through water. Moses grows up in a land and eventually gets commissioned by God to lead his people out of slavery who are in Egypt. There we go, that's your slavery stick. No, your Noah stick. Moses, goodness gracious. <laughs> Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt where God had afflicted them with plagues in order to get Pharaoh to let, them people, let his people go. He led them out of Egypt, took them to the Red Sea, and then in an act of supernatural power and deliverance, Moses held his staff in the air and commanded the sea to split in two. Well, very good. <laughs> very powerful. Once the, the waters parted, Moses and the people walked through the, through the sea, were saved from drowning and brought out to the other side. Once on the other side, they were in a desert and God then called Moses up a mountain, thank you, um, where he gave them rules about sacrifice. There we go, on the mountain. And where's the other bit of paper? There we go. And God made a covenant, a promise to Moses said that you are my people and this is how you are people who are sinful and who need judging for the things that you do that are wrong can approach me, a holy and perfect God. So we've got the story of Noah, we've got the story of Moses and then we come to the story of Jesus. You're Jesus, which is always the hero in these kind of things. You know, If you go around church long enough, you know Jesus is the hero. So then we come to the story of Jesus. Jesus, as a man at the age of 30, goes to the Jordan River where his cousin, John, is baptizing people. Jesus enters the water, comes up out of the water, and then God leads Jesus into the desert. Then, once he's been in the desert for a period of 40 days, and we've had pancakes to remember it, Jesus then came out of the desert and climbed, thanks, and climbed a mountain and taught people. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount gave people the new rules for being part of God's people. Then at the end of Jesus' life, he said to his people, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to make a promise with you. But the difference is this promise isn't going to require animals for you to be sorry, isn't going to require animals to be sacrificed for you to be saved. Instead, he said, I myself am going to be killed in order for you to be rescued. And Jesus said that my body is the, sorry, that the bread of this meal that he had with his disciples is the covenant, the promise that I am making with you. My bread, my body, and my blood. So throughout the stories of the Bible, we see this theme emerging, that God wants to rescue people from evil, that God comes to judge evil, that God comes to preserve people in a boat, in a basket, in a man, and in the body of Jesus. And when we, get, when we go into the swimming pool and we enact a moment of baptism, what we're doing is we are dying to ourselves. We're entering the water, but we're coming up to new life because God is the one who rescues us. Not through a boat, not through a basket, but through the man Jesus and his body. Jesus' body on the cross was broken for us so that we could be forgiven. 
Well done, guys. You can sit back down. Hopefully, those things helped a little bit. Well done. Shall I keep this? Wave this around. Let me put up the next slide behind me. In the book of Colossians, it says this. In him, in Jesus, you also, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Next, next slide. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Christians believe that the way that we are saved from evil, from wickedness, from death, from the devil, from the things that would come to separate us from God. The way that we are saved is not through trying hard to please God. The way that we're saved is not through entering a boat and and surviving a storm. The way that we're saved is not through being preserved in a basket as a baby. It's not through entering the Red Sea, coming up up the other side of those waters. It's through a different type of baptism. And it's a baptism whereby we enact Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. That's what the going into the water and the coming up out of the water is supposed to symbolize. Because when we're baptized, we identify with the one who died on our behalf. And in his death, we're saying that this is how we can be friends with God. It's not through those things. It's through what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's the most outrageous message in the history of the world and it's what stands alone among all of the religions of the world. Is this, you don't need to and you cannot try hard enough to please God, to impress God. The way that you get right with God is by believing in Jesus. Is by believing that when Jesus died and rose, it was enough for you to be forgiven for the things that you've done wrong. Now let me ask you a question. You can put your hands up for this. Put your hands up if you think that there are some big things wrong with the world. Maybe a few, a few of us, maybe. Put your hands up if you think that there are some big things wrong with our country. A few, maybe. Put your hands up if you think there are some big things wrong with East Sussex. Oh, maybe a few, okay. Put your hands up if you think there are some big things wrong with Seaford, like big things. Put your hands up if you think there are some big things wrong with the people who live on your street. You've got some big problems. <laughs> well, <laughs> I won't ask about the people that you live in your house. But what's interesting to me is that when I think about the world and think about what's wrong with it, I think there's plenty wrong with it. But the closer to home I get, the less wrong I think there is with the world. Because I think that the biggest problems are the ones with them out there. Whereas the Bible says actually, although there are big things wrong with the world, the biggest thing that's wrong with the world is the thing that's closest to home. The human heart. Because out of the human heart flow all of the evil desires and malicious intent that leads to all of the big things that are wrong with the world. In the book of Jeremiah, John, uh, in the book of Jeremiah, God tells the prophet and says that the human heart is deceitful above all things. And you might think that's going too far. But I look at my own life, my own heart, and I think, goodness me, I am an incredibly selfish person. I mean, on a micro scale, we have this battle every day in our house because I'll get up and make a cup of tea for myself. And every day, Amy will say, do you know, I'd like a cup of tea. I think, oh, 
Oh, yes, this is the one I made for you. I'll go and make myself one again. I was just serving you. That's a small, silly example. But every day, I act and live and behave as if it was everybody else's job to serve me. I'd never say that because that would be letting the cat out of the proverbial bag. Instead, I'll do it in a number of different, more subtle ways. I won't get up to clear the dishes off the table. I won't initiate the washing up. I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't. I do it through not doing the things that I know I'm supposed to do. Jesus said that the servant is the greatest, and I, said, and I think, great idea for someone else. Great idea, because I know that my heart is selfish, and I know that out of the evil intent of my heart, throw all the bad things in the world. And that's why Jesus came, to rescue us. Because one day, the Bible says that God is going to judge the world, and when God judges the world, he'll separate the goodies from the baddies, and on the side of the goodies, the Bible says that they'll stand just one person, the person of Jesus, the only person who can say, I've done nothing wrong my entire life. You see, up, up on the mountain where Moses was there, God gave him a list of commands and says, I'll just give you 10 things to do to, to please me. The, top, the first commandment, we can't even keep that one. Just keep, here's 10, just keep one and you'll be fine. The first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And that's something that none of us can keep except for Jesus. So one day God is going to divide the world and there'll be Jesus and there'll be the rest of the world. And what baptism is about is about saying, I recognize that there is selfishness and self-servingness in myself. And the only way to be rescued, the only way to be free is not through trying hard. It's through believing in Jesus' death on my behalf. John 3.16 said that for God so loved the world that he sent his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not die, shall not be separated into the camp of the wicked at the final judgment, but instead will find everlasting life in the Son. And that's why we celebrate baptism. That's why we think it's a big deal. Because just as someone enters the water and dies and raises to new life, not a new life of moral perfection, but a new life of saying, I'm following him. So it is that we as Christians have hope that we have died to our old ways of living for self and are trying now to trust Jesus and we're trying now to learn from him and we're trying now to see him as our shepherd and as our guide. And when that happens, it's an amazing moment. So when Fiona gets baptized, she's not literally dying in the water and coming back to new life. We are enacting something that's taken place already because trusting Jesus happens long before you get in the water. It happens as people go to bed and they say, Lord, I want to trust you. It happens as people are sitting in meetings like this and say, please forgive me. I need you to help me. It happens when people are at work and realize I can't do this on my own. I need to trust you. Jesus, I want to live for you. It happens when people are looking after the kids and think, I've come to the end of myself. I recognize I can't do this on my own strength. Please help me, Lord Jesus. I want to follow you. Being a Christian is a daily decision to trust him. And at baptism, we celebrate those decisions because it's the beginning of the rest of a person's life. Before we get Fiona up to, sit, um, to share, we're going to actually respond just through singing together and through celebrating the truth of this that I've been saying in song. It's a good way for us to respond and then we're going to get Fiona up. So let me pray for us and then we'll stand to sing. In fact, why don't you stand now as I pray? That would be great. Father, thank you that you are a rescuing God. Thank you that you have come to rescue us. 
You've come to rescue us from ourselves. You've come to rescue us from separation from you. Thank you that you've provided the sacrifice, not an animal on a mountain, but a person on a mountain. Jesus was crucified outside of Jerusalem on the mountain called Golgotha, the place of the skull. And thank you that we can find forgiveness now because of what he has done for us. And thank you that this is the most epic blockbuster of all. You sacrificed that which was most dear to you in order that we could become friends of yours. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. John.